Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Steve Kane. He's a business owner at Steve Kane Sales and Consulting and has worked in the commercial roofing and waterproofing industry for almost 40 years. So Steve, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome, Tats. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we were chatting a little earlier, and I had in my notes 37 years, but you corrected me, 39 years in the industry. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe, but it's been great. I love this industry, met some wonderful people, I have some great relationships that have turned into friendships over those years. So it's been a lot of fun. And then having my daughter in the business with me now for she started her fourth year. That's exciting too. Wonderful. We're going to touch on that definitely a little bit later. But how did it all start? How did you come into the roofing and and the coating and the waterproofing industry? Well, that's a great question. It's interesting. I got out of school. I had a marketing degree, had a friend of mine who worked for a general contractor. So wasn't sure what what, where it was going to go, what job. So he said, you know, my uncle's looking for some people, just salespeople and being marketing. And then I've also been somewhat of an entrepreneur. As a young kid, I had a grass mowing business. I tuned skis, I shoveled driveways, anything to earn some extra spending money. And so I ended up going to work for him. I'll never forget. He came in one day, the owner, and we'd just been doing various things I call it just being his gopher if he needed something (laughs) to do it. And he came in one day in the famous line, I met a guy in a bar last night and we're now the master distributors for this product. And that that product was the first modified torch down made by Emperor Bell that was had a company called US Intech had brought their equipment over and set up shop in Houston. So he said, we are the master distributors of this, so we need to go out and sell it. And didn't know anything about it. So he said, you're going down to Houston next week for a full week to learn about this product. So I jumped on a plane and flew down to Port Arthur, kind of in the Houston area, and just spent a week learning how, seeing how the product was uh, manufactured, really just learning how to put it on, torching it, doing flashings, pipes, everything you could think of. And then when we came back, we had to start from ground one and find contractors to put it on. We had to look for distribution to sell it. So in those days, the good old yellow pages whipped out the phone book. I looked up who distributors were, figured we needed probably two to start. And I just went and made a sales call and uh, told them about the product. And their comment was, well, we got to have people put it on. So the next step was to turn past roofing distribution or turn backwards and look at roofing contractors. And then it was just a matter of finding guys to put it on. Once they liked it, they wanted to use it. Then I would ask them, who do you want to buy it from? So then in turn, they would give me a distributor they bought their roofing products from. So it took some convincing 
for them to bring in the product because you had to buy it in truckloads. So we got that rolling and it took about a year of just organizing before I found a couple of distributors who would stock the product. And then I would do all the training. I would do all the inspections with it. And it was a lot of fun. It really was. I just had a little uh, Nissan Silver pickup and every day it was like, here I go. I'm going to go train somebody on how to do it. And I did that for them for about probably three years. And then the distributor I worked for wanted to hire me. Oh. So, cause I had, my wife was a banker and she had the benefits and we had just married in April of that year. So I was like, well, sure. I could have a company truck. I'd have some benefits. I wasn't going to be on straight commission anymore, which is now 39 years later, I look back, I've gone full circle. I started at straight commission and now I'm back to being paid <laughs> straight commission, which is fine. Yeah. So you started working for, I guess you can call it an equipments manufacturer or, or products manufacturer. Then you switched to the distribution. What did you find different? Like what, what were the differences? Because you, you've been on one side. Now you get to see the other side. Any insights there? Well, we were, I was still doing a lot of the same things in that I was still training those contractors, but instead of from a manufacturer's point of selling to that distributor, now I, my, my contact was primarily with the contractor. They were putting it on, they were buying it. So I was going out and looking at jobs, working in, and suddenly my, instead of having two distributors and a few contractors now, I needed to grow that to 30 or 40 contractors who could put that on. And we were primarily doing sales in the Denver metro area, which at that time, built-up roofing was, was the main product. How to asphalt in a keg form, in a kettle, mopped on. Well, this was totally new. They didn't need to have a kettle. They just needed really torches. So it really brought new contractors into the trade because a lot of the the older, bigger contractors had invested a lot of money in tankers, in kettles, and you really didn't need to with this new torch down product. Just had to have torches, propane tanks, and that was it. So it brought more contractors into the mix that could put this product down. Mm, interesting. So was your early growth with sort of these, these contractors that didn't invest heavy in these? sort of existing pieces of equipment or, or were they just people that were attracted to the market because of the new technology? Well, I think first and foremost, it was new contractors who wanted to do commercial, but they didn't want to invest the money or equipment in kettles. Plus the, the people that did that, you had to be very ex experienced because you were working with heating asphalt to 400 degrees. It was very dangerous. You had to learn how to mop it a certain way. And if you didn't do it right, you'd have problems. So the torch was very easy. So a lot of people who wanted to get into commercial jumped into these new torch down products that could compete with the modified. And actually they were more competitive because you didn't have, the labor was much more intense. So the labor was more to put on a torch, to put on a mop down than it was a torch down product then. Mm. Interesting. And then at some point, you, you sort of migrated towards Henry? Yeah. So I worked 
I took a few different paths. So I worked for the manufacturer for about four years. Then I went and was training the contractors how to do it. And that was great. But I thought I got a little bored because I'd set the network up. I was only, gosh, 28 years old. And really, it was on cruise control. They were buying the product. There was occasionally still training new people, but it was like everything set. And I just got bored. I'm like, I need to be more challenged. So through the industry, I had somebody call me from a concrete tile company, a company called West Tile, who said, offered me better money, better benefits, those. So I went and did that. But what's interesting, Tats, is I learned sometimes the grass is not always greener <laughs> because the, a lot of promises were made. And I went to work for this company and I found out I was the only Indian. I had four chiefs. And I was the guy in the field and none of the chiefs could make agree on a decision. So I stayed with them shortly for probably only two years. And then an opportunity came back in distribution to move from the Denver area up to Fort Collins, Colorado, where I currently live. Mm. And I went back into distribution. And instead of just being a sales guy, I was now a branch manager. You know, we opened a new branch. I moved up there. And what's interesting is the first day I went to work in Fort Collins, I got a ride up there with uh, a current sales guy because they had a pickup for me. My wife was pregnant at the time. So within two hours of being there, she called me, her water broke. So I just met my staff. I said, got to go. My son was born the first day I started working for Collins, wow. <laughs> yeah, which was cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So with, I know I, on your resume, it says, Henry, did you learn anything from Henry particular? I think you had, you spent seven years there. Yeah. So, so that, after that point, I, I, I ran that distribution yard until they were bought by a national company called ABC Supply. ABC bought, we had three branches. They bought us and that would have been in 95. I stayed about six months because I'd always liked the family-owned businesses. Mm. I enjoyed working. I didn't really have a good taste in my mouth for the national company. So I left them and went to work for a little coatings company called Grundy Industries out of Chicago. And I was a Western regional sales guy. I did that for four years. And then they were purchased by Henry. Ah, got it. And I was with Henry. And Henry was a a great company. I learned a lot. I went from the roofing side over to air barriers, waterproofing. So again, I, I always like to be challenged. So here was something else I could learn. I learned commercial roofing and built up and modified and I knew how to run a branch. Now I'm not only selling coatings, but I learned how to sell waterproofing and air barriers and underlayments at Henry. Mm, okay. And then you, you went full circle at some point back into sort of going to commission and a rep industry. What sort of facilitated that move back in sort of being, I guess, a, an entrepreneur, like your entrepreneurial roots? Sure. Well, after the Henry thing, Henry was bought, was sold to an equity group, which we see a lot of that happening in the industry today with a lot of consolidation. So I went back to distribution to run a commercial distribution outfit. I did that for four years and then they were bought out by one of the larger ones called Beacon. So mm -hmm. in 30 years, I went through five acquisitions having <laughs> worked for small companies. And at the age of 54, 
my wife and I were having uh, lunch Sunday and I said to her, I want to start my own company. And she thought I was nuts because she said, we have the best benefits we've ever had since we've been married. And I just said, do you trust me? I said, I've been in the industry at that time. It would have been 30, 30 years. And so we decided to do it, you know, and take on a few lines in that. And I've loved it. I've enjoyed every minute of it. I'm often asked, how come I didn't do it earlier? And the time, it was all timing, Tats. It was the timing presented itself. There was an opportunity. So, but we'll start our ninth year in our, with our rep company this year. Interesting. And then you mentioned earlier, your daughter is, is joined you on this company. I have daughters. So at younger, much younger, but I'm always curious, was that na- a natural transition? How did that happen? Well, it's very interesting. You know, I have three children. I have an older son, Hannah's the middle child, the only girl, and then a younger son. So typically the construction industry is really a man's business. My two boys, my oldest son is more creative. He's a photographer. My youngest son is a kind of a cook chef. And they just, you know, I asked them first and uh, they said, well, dad, you know, that just really doesn't interest us. (laughs) So as Hannah, my daughter jokes, when I asked her, she said, well, you're asking me last. And I said, she'd been doing She'd been involved in sales tats a lot of her life. I mean, she, she was a Girl Scout, so she's always selling ice sure. cream and different things like that. And she was very good at it. So I said, I know you've done these things. And at that time, she lived in Seattle selling coffee. And I, she wanted to move back for a boy, for a man. So she moved back here. And I said, would you like to try this? And so we did that. I said, just try it for six months. If you like it fine. If you don't, not a problem. So, and really the rest is history. So she, after six months, she said, yeah, dad, I'd like to do this full time. So as a father, having one of your kids join you in business is great because at some point I want to be able to retire or slow down. So it's nice to have somebody in the family who can handle it. And it's been a real pleasure to have her. But one thing I will say, she always jokes. She says, well, how come you, you asked me last, what am I chopped liver? And I said, well, I had to ask your brothers first. I mean, it's kind of a man's industry. It has been, but I said, I wanted to make sure because at some point when you start making a lot of money, they can come back to me and say, you never asked us dad to work in your business. (laughs) So, and after I told her that she said, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, so you've been doing this rep business for a while. For someone that's not been in the rep business or understands the rep business well, what are the what are the challenges of of getting one of these up and running? Obviously, you have a lot of experience, but you've seen other rep industries, you've seen yourself go through this. What what are the key challenges? Well, the one is getting the lines that can support yourself. There's lots of lines you can get, but a lot of companies also, you may have to pioneer it. And typically as an independent, you don't make any money until you sell something. So you could get a number of lines, but if they don't have any business or you don't, let's say, have any connections to get business, you'll struggle. 
I think the biggest thing too is being able to, it's going to take you probably a good year to possibly two to gather those lines. And you're going to have to find some and you're going to have to look at some of those lines that maybe already have business. It's easy to for companies to have reps because they don't have to pay them any benefits. There's nothing. It's just, hey, they sell my product. Once they sell it, then I pay them. So that would be the struggle for new reps is one, you want to make sure you have some experience in that you have contacts out there so you can go to people that know you and trust you. So if you have a product line, they'll buy it from you. You have to find out too, are they sold through distribution or is it one step meaning sold direct to a contractor? Some lines warrant distribution, but there's some lines that don't. Distribution has changed today compared to what it used to be in that a lot of distributors don't want to carry the inventory. They want to have you go out and sell everything and then just bring it in on an as-need basis. But as you know, you have to have some stock out there in order to hit those small jobs. You just can't suddenly sell all these big jobs. You got to work from the bottom up. So, And it's difficult because a lot of manufacturers go with employees. The bigger the company are, they probably go more employee-based than rep-based. What do you think their rationale is behind that? Well, it depends on... You have to look at a number two. If you're going to hire somebody as an employee, kind of the magic number out there is about a million dollars in sales. That's how, because you have to pay their salary, their benefits. So in order for that to make sense, they've got to produce in sales. Obviously, with a rep company, they're not paid until they sell something. So you're not having to outlay anything But it depends on the size of the company. Typically, the larger the company with a lot more sales, let's say, for instance, you had a company that did 10 million in sales. Well, then they might have anywhere probably close to five guys to handle that. And it depends on the amount of distribution they have too. And are they going through distribution sales versus a lot of manufacturers of specialty where distributor really doesn't do that much for them. Plus they may mark the product up so high that it's not feasible. It's like, okay, they're putting 30, 40, 50% on it when they could certainly be buying from the manufacturer and pay a rep 10%. Yeah, for sure. Now you don't have to to name names, but you deal with a lot of different manufacturers. I'm guessing over the last nine years or more. And What are some best practices that manufacturers have in terms of dealing with their reps or even their sales team? What have you encountered in terms of memorable sort of programs or or things? Well, I think the the first thing, Tats, is communication. Yeah, that's got to be the first and foremost is that they've got to communicate well with you on what their expectations are, what your sales, you know, what meaning what kind of sales, what's the support, what are they providing, what's the customer service look like, that's tied to support. I think all those things are critical. And it can be, it doesn't necessarily mean that the bigger the company is, the better that is. The bigger it is, sometimes there's so much minutia in there that you don't know who to go to. Everybody's a voicemail. You call somebody or you have to email them and 
it could take days. So I think communication by far is the biggest one. Obviously, what their total program is, whether it's commission, salary, benefits, and then what the opportunities are for you. Was there an opportunity for you to move up? Or will you just be stuck at this same position? I think most people would like the opportunity to move up if they can. Mm -hmm. As a business owner, an entrepreneur, you hope as you grow your business, you're able to add additional people. Yeah. So you've seen many different trend technology cycles. In your mind, after seeing what's happening in the marketplace, what's the next trend? What's the next sort of wave of products or changes you, you think you're going to see? Well, I think COVID is driving a lot of online use. I really, I, I think you look at distribution a little bit and you go, do we really, with a particular product I have, do I, what does distribution, are they, is it a good thing or not a bad thing or do I need them? Can I just sell directly to being one step to that contractor? That way you have a direct line of communication. You know exactly what they want. You know exactly what they need. I think now because of COVID, everything, we're learning how to Zoom calls. We're doing working at home, doing stuff online. I think that I don't think we'll go back. I don't think we'll take a step back. I think just like with the brick and mortar stores, distributors now have sales guys, really, they have to have a yard for material. But at the same time, will things, I think the trend will be just order and ship it. The big boxes will continue to get bigger. Maybe it's going to end up being the number one, the big one down the street and the big orange one. And then we have the big blue one <laughs> because they have the ability to get you everything and then I think whoever has the shipping capabilities to get it to you the fastest. We know that our friends at Amazon, tremendous. They've got their own fleet now, so they can get everything to you immediately. So I think that's the next step is I think you may see a lot of distribution go away. The big keep getting bigger. I mean, consolidation has happened and continues that there's not many small companies left. The larger companies are seeking out the well-run independents and just making them offers they can't refuse. And I, I also believe that a lot of the younger folks in these families who have worked hard all their whole life, I don't think their children want to do that, Tats. I think they, I don't know what they want to do, but I think the computerized or more computerized everything, people are able to, if they're a contractor and they work all day, then they can come home and get on their computer and order all the stuff they need and then just have it delivered. Mm -hmm. So it kind of takes that interaction away, which I don't think is a good thing. As a sales guy, I want to have face-to-face -face with people, especially when you're working on specifying products. That's another part of the rep business too, is you deal with contractors, you deal with distributors, but you also deal with specifiers in order to get your product used or specified on new construction. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You've been at this a while. If you went back, talked to your younger self, what would you say? I wish I would have bought Apple stock. <laughs> I wish I would have bought Zoom stock just six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> what would I do different today? I mean, 
we didn't have communication as we said is better. Back then when I first started, it was really we I didn't even have my first cell phone till had to be 90. So I mean before it was just pagers. We and again the phone book. <laughs> We just got out the phone book and then we hit having worked for that first company. I'd be in the office in the morning. I'd make my calls. I'd be out in the afternoon and I'd be back in the afternoon making calls. So now you, especially with cell phones and laptops, you never have to go into an office. You can do everything on the fly. The only thing is don't drive and do it. Pull over to the side of the road. Yeah, for sure. Now, Anything that that I did not ask you, but I should have? Any last words? I think delivery of materials is something that's critical moving ahead, how that's going to happen, because the supply chain of, of there's less drivers on the road now, I think that's a critical piece. So companies, as I mentioned, Amazon, if just they're hiring their, their, they get their own delivery vans, their own people. I think that's going to be a real big difference out there. And the, the one who gets that piece figured out on the construction end is going to be the winner. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, Steve, thank you so much. Your wealth of information. And I'm sure that our audience got something great out of it. Thank you. Thanks, Tats. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.